we're all have the same mission. We all share the same purpose, which I think is is vital in that we can't just think about it as, you know, two talking heads at the top of an organization agreeing, but it, all the way through that that folks are agreeing and aligning with. I think, you know, where where things can fail is if if a research you know, partnership is established and there's very specific outcomes and the research isn't shared throughout the process and it isn't collaborative. And then, you know, here's the paper and then we're done and we move on. Welcome to Beyond Research. I'm your host, Stephanie Reed. Fifteen years ago, Halifax Water asked Dalhousie University to help solve an immediate issue in a treatment plant. This blossomed into a deep relationship where the utility and researchers work in partnership to identify and work on a range of water research challenges. Our guests today are joined by Stefan Leslie, CEO of Research Nova Scotia. Listen as they discuss how they work together, where future problems in water supply and treatment may lie, and the key ingredients to a successful collaboration. Dr. Graham Gagnon is a professor in the Department of Civil and Resource Engineering, director of the Center for Water Resource Studies, and dean of the Faculty of Architecture and Planning at Dalhousie University. So the Center for Water Resources Studies, or uh, the CWRS, as, as we're sort of known to many, has been around since 1980. So before I arrived at, at Dalhousie, you know, it was created uh, by the Faculty of Engineering and, and say the TONS administration to really respond to more provincial needs. Dr. Wendy Kirkusek is the Water Quality Manager at Halifax Water. Initially, research was brought into the utility for very specific purposes to investigate uh, process optimization for our treatment plants, and it was very prescriptive. Uh, over the years, uh, that has evolved uh, significantly, and we now have this sort of 15-year uh, research relationship that's been, been ongoing, and it's gone much more beyond just prescriptive research, and really the needs for research come from both directions, from, from Dalhousie sort of telling us what's up and coming and what we need to be aware of, and also from us telling them, hey, we have a problem and, and we, need to, we need to solve this problem. She works with the treatment, water quality and distribution operations staff to conduct water quality research, solve challenges impacting water quality and treatment, improve treatment methods and develop and implement water quality plans. She also holds a PhD in civil engineering from Dalhousie University. Wendy, can you describe what Halifax Water does? What's its main service? Our main service is to provide water, wastewater, and stormwater services to the Halifax Regional Municipality, and uh, that involves being stewards of the environment and, and public health professionals. And so how has that related to the need for research? Is research allowing you to understand what the state of the art is or what the new things that you need to know are, or is it both? It's very much both. Um, so again, at the beginning, it was more us saying, we need these questions answered. And now it's much more, Graham will say, hey, this is, this is on the horizon. We're seeing a lot of this type of thing happening. Let's explore this, see how it's impacting Halifax waters. Is this something we need to look at further? So we get that direction, which kind of keeps us at the forefront of the industry. Uh, and then on the other side, you know, if we suddenly have uh, operational issues or we see something that's happening, I can pick up the phone and say, hey, Graham, we've got a problem. Can you help? 
right? And so has this relationship, apart from the way research questions or issues have been defined, has the depth of that relationship also changed or the way the interaction has occurred changed? Definitely. I would say it started as a very small group and, and a very targeted program, and uh, and it's grown throughout in terms of, you know, other additional partners that have been added, which has provided value to the partnership. So there's now private industry that's involved in this research relationship, as well as other uh, municipalities. Um, so it's, you know, we have kind of this network uh, in Atlanta, Canada that's been built through the partnership. Um, and then we've also expanded in scope just at Halifax Water. So it was optimizing one treatment plant. Now it's looking at our systems as a whole. And a few years ago, we added wastewater on as well as part of the research partnership. So it's really kind of evolved and, and moved throughout the organization. So you mentioned at the very beginning, it's it's fresh water, it's water for consumption, it's wastewater, and it's surface water management. So Stormwater. Stormwater. So can you describe what each of those three are and how they work together or interrelate? Yeah. So, you know, drinking water, we get our water from uh, lakes and we treat it to drinking water standards. We distribute it through pipes in the ground uh, to our customers. On the wastewater side, we then pick up that water that uh, our customers have have produced and, and we treat it and we discharge it to the environment. So it's really sort of the full cycle. Uh, the way stormwater fits into that, uh, as an old utility, uh, we have some areas of our systems that are combined sewers. And so it integrates directly into our wastewater uh, treatment process and discharges to the environment. But also we have you know additional stormwater infrastructure areas that aren't serviced by centralized wastewater systems or our separated systems as well. So the Monopoly board has water and it has lights. So why is water there? Well, tell me tell me on the importance of that one. Every community needs water. You need a way to access safe drinking water and you need a way to dispose safely of the wastewater. Um, you know, as Graham touched on on earlier, it's you can build a house, but you need the water to be able to support the activities within that house or within that business. So it's the foundation. Um, and access to safe drinking water is really like we are all public health practitioners. And at the end of the day, we are providing a public health service by providing safe drinking water. Um, so it's it's fundamental. Hospitals wouldn't exist without clean water. Industries wouldn't exist without clean water. And, you know, without the ability to treat the wastewater, we would, uh, you know, be polluting the environment to a point where we wouldn't have sources of water then to to use for for other reasons, for recreation, for for other uses. And so, Graham, how is this not just piping water in, taking water away? What's the research need in that space that Wendy just described? So climate change is totally shifted this in that the greatest input we see is the climate or atmosphere. Water quality from algal blooms, from um, you know changes in organic matter to mobilization of metals are all happening in ways that we had we have no recipe for. Uh, like we can't go to a textbook and go, oh, now if we do this intervention, this will solve this. It's learning, while well, we tried this, that didn't work. And we thought that was the problem, but in fact, it's this. Um, I find it, it it's it, it's incredibly challenging, let alone things that happened this year, you know, wildfires and go, well, what will be the impact of a wildfire on this watershed, which is of course surrounded by forests. Um, so very profound is climate change. And um, so climate changes everything. It's not just making it warmer. It's changing what's growing in the water. Or it changes the fire regime, which then affects the water quality. So it has that flow on effect. Uh, if we look across the world, 
whenever cities grow, whenever communities grow, the challenge of water is is right in front of them. You know, you can uh, go back to watch Chinatown and say, well, let's bring the water to the people if um, and and from that perspective, or look at Southern California right now, where direct potable reuse, so taking wastewater, turning into drinking water is now approved in the state of California because population demand is so high and the need for water is so great um, that that is the option. Um, and that, and we need to really think about it. To Wendy's point, um, dimensions of clean water for drinking, but a, a very important dimension of a water utility is fire prevention. And so, you know, when you first thinking about designing a pipe, it's how big is that pipe? So if I turn a hydrant on, I can fight a fire. And so um, one of the things that I looked at at the Joint Regional Transportation Authority, where we're gonna take hot links in, any one of those links, you're gonna have to fight a fire because there's gonna be a lot of people, there's gonna, you know, and hopefully they never have to fight a fire, but that means there's gonna be a hydrant, there's gonna need to be high pressure water, which um, when you go along those corridors, you quickly realize that doesn't exist. And so the, um, the intersection of growing foods intensely, growing, um, fighting fires and all the other industrial on top of making sure people will be healthy when they drink water is just an enormous challenge for this small utility block on the monopoly board. So can you describe what some of those main research areas are? Yeah. So our initial relationship with Halifax Water, I remember distinctly, uh, Fortunate, we I was in a plant with the director of water operations, and we were driving for about an hour. So I had a, his ears for about an hour, um, and he uh, <clears throat> he described some of the you know I want to do this, and then I want to do this, and then I want to do this, and he described it in a manner that like I, I see this is going to be about a month, and this is going to be about a month, and this could be a month, month. And this particular problem uh, relates to disinfection byproducts uh, because the utility had some challenges with disinfection byproducts. And, and he's like, great, we're gonna do this in three years. We're gonna start it. And, and by year one, we'll have the solution. Year two, we'll implement. And then year three, we'll validate. And I said, yeah, that will, that will work out perfectly. Um, so fast forward to Wendy's point, 18 years, we're still working on the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because so many different things have changed, uh, you know, from, you know, climate impacts to process changes to chemical changes, uh, personnel changes. There's so many different nuances that happen that, um, you know, but I think so to come back to that story is that oftentimes a, a research receptor or a partner has uh, acuteness in their mind. But then once they like, you know, any curious individual and, and certainly the director and the general manager uh, fortunate were very curious. They weren't like, why isn't this answered? They were very much, wow, we didn't know that. Well, why don't you go down this hallway and see what happens there? And um, <clears throat> and then once you start to do that, you then realize some of the challenges that exist. Um, I would say to, to no operational uh, fault, but just we, we hadn't thought about that. You know, we hadn't looked at the, the problem from this angle. And so there's many examples that we could probably get into that will describe you know, various opportunities that, um, you know, on the one hand, it would be a challenge that we'd see at the plant 
or in in operation, and then the opportunity would be brought from us from um, from students or from research to say, well, why don't we look at the problem this way as opposed to solving this, you know, flicking a valve or hoping for the best type of solution. So there is certainly something about utilities or water, the provision of water and research that really lends itself well to this idea of this back and forth between problems that are identified in society. What are the key ingredients to enable this kind of model to happen? What is perhaps unique from individual relationships that we have with organizations is is very much trust. And trust not just, um, as I said, a meeting with the executive team and me doesn't kind of just stop like I'll run back and tell my lab. My expectation is that I can talk to the, um, you know, the student or person that is working at a, a pilot plant um, and say, this is, what, this is what I've learned, this is what I think. And they can then talk to the operator at that very same plant and have the same shared values that I had in a conversation with the executive. In other words, it's not, um, we're all, have the same mission. We all share the same purpose and, um, which I think is, is vital in that we can't just think about it as, um, you know, two talking heads at the top of an organization agreeing, but it all the way through that, that folks are agreeing and aligning with in a, in a partnership. It's not like, uh, a secret in my lab, there, there are no locks on cabinets and, uh, that is important purpose that I don't want secret research. I want to make sure if we're going to have this industrial collaboration that that the industry partners can see fairly acutely uh, our mistakes and where we're thinking this is leading. Um, and also then say, well, I, are you sure that's going to be where it's leading? Maybe you should also think about this. If I could take it one step further too, and you know, the word partnership. Um, and that that's truly what this research is. It's it's a partnership, and we've grown to understand each other's needs and businesses, and and develop that sort of trust in the relationships. And um, it's an understanding of what the needs are of the other organization as well. So you know we have this sort of contractual research relationship, and there are outcomes that Graham needs to publish papers. His students need to publish paper, papers. Sometimes the stuff that he works on, we're like, well really does that you know how does that really impact us but that's all a part of it because that's the that's the novel that's the academic that's what you get the the funding for but then on the other side it's we have these operational questions that are maybe not all that exciting to students but but that all gets done as as part of this partnership so it's really understanding each other and what the requirements and needs are and being flexible and able to accommodate that i think you know where where things can fail is if if a research uh, you know, partnership is established and there's very specific outcomes and the research isn't shared throughout the process and it isn't collaborative. And then, you know, here's the paper and then we're done and we move on and there, and, and that's kind of, kind of the end of it. But it's really that integration and understanding how the different organizations work together and what the needs are and working together to ensure that, that all of those needs are met. So it's a very different model than having research occur and then finding a way at the end of it to find people who can make use of it. It That's sounds right. to me very much like at the at the outset, participation, integration, partnership, all those words that you've been using to define what those issues are and then recognize that research 
is going to both solve immediate problems that the client or the the sponsor or the the user partner needs, but also be able to pursue these broader, longer term, deeper questions that may actually help problems that you are going to confront in 10 years time or someone else may be confronting. That's right. And I think you know a great example of this is the research that we've done on lead and mm -hmm. and corrosion control. Uh, you know, Graham students started working on this in in the late 2000s. Um, and so by 2011, 2012, we had a wealth of data uh, on you know corrosion control treatment and lead service lines and how this situation really impacts our community and our systems. This is all at a time that things are kind of starting to escalate in the US. We have the Flint water crisis in in 2015. And at that point, we were so well positioned, because of the research that had been ongoing and the discussions that we've had that we knew the situation, we knew the problem, and we were able and we already had the kind of plan in place to to get to the solutions because we'd been talking throughout that whole process and kind of had been on that forefront of we know this is a problem, we need to address it. How do we address this effectively? It sounds to me that it's it's almost you need to be both willing to teach and willing to learn. Both you know, sides. From both sides. Like everyone involved has to – there is no teacher and student here. There is no client and service provider. This this really is a kind of an integration of those functions, recognizing that you have different needs and different capacities. But for it all to work, those things have to be structured together. Absolutely. And we, we have students that work directly in our facilities. Um, you know that are that are in our pilot plants that are interacting with operators on a daily basis. So they're integrated into the utility structure, and that gives them an understanding of what our needs are and what actually drives us as an organization, which then allows them to tailor their research to be able to answer those questions that we need. And we have postdocs that that come and sit, you know, in my group, and they've got an access card to our buildings, and they come to the group meetings, and they they see their research, but they also see everything else, which then gives them that perspective of how do we take Take that back and provide value. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And and to Wendy's point, you know, I think it was two weeks ago we had a PhD student who was working on a technology that that doesn't exist right now in Halifax Water give a research seminar to water operators uh, at the plant, saying, "This is what I'm doing in this pilot plant. This is what I hope to achieve. This is how this technology works." And I find it, I found it great in that you know, it's not me. And it's not Wendy saying, you know, Wendy telling the operators, you need to listen to this or me telling the grad student, you need to say these things, but very much um, shared learning and operators asking questions of the, and, uh, and it happens uh, sometimes very planned, like in that situation, and sometimes very organically, which is uh, both are really, really useful. Yeah, I was wanted to ask you about the astonishing growth that we've seen in Nova Scotia and certainly around the, the the Halifax area that you serve, how does that fit into the planning process for being able to deliver water supply and wastewater away and the distribution network for stormwater? So it's all it's all part of part of the process, um, but it's you know we're we're growing into areas where we don't necessarily have water provision um, at the moment, and so I think we're just in the very early stages of of starting to ask those questions and starting to to look at how we're going to to provide those services in the future. Um, you know, our, we have we have teams of people that are that are constantly looking at this, looking at development, um, but really the the times are are very different than the way we've conducted business in the past. 
Um, so it, it's just staying closely connected to, you know, HRM, to the province on on what the plans are and how we can best support those plans. Mm-hmm. And Graham, the, the work on water, of course, is broader than just what's relevant for a utility. A large part of this province is on well water, either dug or drilled, using a septic system rather than a, a communal uh, uh, sewer network. And well, stormwater management is probably called the yard in most cases. So how does the work that the center how does that work become relevant or how is it applied or, or useful to those who are outside of the utility system? When we were starting, um, and, and I would try to coerce students to think about water as a career, um, it probably goes back to my days of, of teaching civil engineering students. And um, early in my career, I realized that most civil engineer students go into civil engineering because they want to build a bridge, build a road, they're all, or build a house, all things that they can see. And all of those things require water. You, you don't build a house and then say, well, I hope for the best on the water and wastewater side. Or you don't build a road and say, well, I hope there's a, a stormwater system that, that will convey the uh, rainwater that's inevitably going to come off this asphalt. Um, it's intrinsically tied to this. And so uh, if we think about the current discussions around housing in our province and in our country, um, a key part of that is, is, is going to be water and wastewater in that um, many of our, um, I think it's 40% of our homeowners, you know, say pre-2016 were on some form of well. 60% were on some form of septic. Um, that, that is a crazy number to think about 60% and, and knowing where our population is going. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we get phone calls right now for many of our neighboring um, counties from HRM that are really challenged by population growth because they, um, on the side of water, they, they can approve a four-story or six-story um, multi-res building, and then they go, ah, oh, well, we thought we would drill a hole in the ground and find water. Turns out we don't find it. Or we realize that the septic approval was too tight and we have no place to put our wastewater from this multi-res building. So it is a, it is a challenge that, um, it, on the one hand, I see this as exciting because it, it allows uh, the talents that we have in the center, allows the talents that exist in Halifax Water and many of the service providers that exist in our province to really think about how do we solve this. So I guess when you think about it in that way, although the problem may be framed as an engineering challenge, really it's the social dimension that is giving it shape. It's the population growth, it's the distribution, where people are living, what their evolving needs are, what their expectations around decarbonization and so on might be. So how do you work as a, as a group of engineers or primarily engineers, how do you find the space to work with the other sorts of disciplines in order to comprehensively address the problems that's actually going to solve the issues that are confronted by utility or others? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I would say you can engage with the public, um, engage with um, leaders to to learn from them. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to sit on the, the roundtable for the environment in our province and you know, our uh, different ministers and have 
similarly, you know, I just want to make sure we have safe water. I just want to make, and then you kind of peel that back and try to learn what the minister or what the minister's staff is, is, is thinking about when they say safe water, because, um, it's surprising what individuals, what communities, how they interpret that, because that will then as an engineer inform, okay, well, this is the solution or this is the approach you're asking me to take. So where do you see the direction of the center going in the future to address these sorts of things? It doesn't have to be grand new problems. It may be just that we continue to have communities that don't have safe drinking water and that remains a challenge. But can you talk to or speak to the where the direction, the research direction is going to go as best as you can anticipate it? Yeah. I mean, we've touched on climate change. I think in, inevitably um, climate change is going to have a, a profound effect on, on Nova Scotians in a wide variety of um, living conditions and working conditions and water will be important. Uh, you know, from sea level rise, we've worked with communities that have their wastewater plant below sea level now. And so as the sea level rises, you know, how is this plant really going to function and where, where is water going to go? Because the, the pressure of the sea is going to be far greater than any pump we could imagine. Um, we can, we have researchers that are studying the interaction between the, um, oceans and the groundwater systems, the freshwater systems, and we can see that infiltration is happening. We have a project with the town of Yarmouth and a, a researcher that is looking at drought conditions in Yarmouth that are brought on from climate change uh, with Halifax water. Uh, we are looking at water quality changes that are brought on through, through climate change. And then on the wastewater side, we're looking at uh, mitigating energy um, to adapt to climate change, lowering the burden of um, climate change impacts from, from treatment processes. Uh, so I, I see all of these sort of intersectionalities uh, are going to be happening in Nova Scotia and probably projects that I can't even begin to imagine. And then as I've, as I've said to uh, uh, Wendy uh, and anybody who wants to hear it, uh, you know, the intersection between energy and water has always been there, whether, you know, as a, as a mineral producing nation, the oil and gas sector knows that when we purify oil for consumption, we produce water. Um, uh, from a biofuel standpoint, if we want to, when we were in the ethanol days, we were realizing how much water we were uh, using to produce corn. And so as we now move into hydrogen and people say, well, we want green hydrogen and the source is water, uh, you begin to realize how much water that, that will be, how clean that water will have to be to produce hydrogen, um, and where will that water come from, who will be the steward of it, who will uh, regulate that, uh, what will be the utility that will manage that. It's, it, it's just so many questions um, that I think are are important because, you know, every time we uh, think about water and energy, it really then starts to question all of the primary, you know, uses of water, drinking, cooking, recreating. Well, how much do we want to move over to energy? Um, it ends at that, that sort of tension point. Um, so I, I think all and probably more 
are going to be on the horizon for CWRS researchers in the future. So you're not bored. Not bored. <laughs> <laughs> not, not likely to be bored no. anytime soon. Yeah. 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 So that for the 40 students or so that you have in your lab, they, they have a, a, an ongoing set of tasks to, to take on. So where do they tend to go and work? Where, where's their destination? Do they stay as researchers within the academic sector or are they working for utilities? What's You could imagine on the one hand, we're feeding a um, sort of regional ecosystem over the last uh, you know, several decades that we have uh, a large number of engineers that work for Halifax Water, which wouldn't be surprising. Uh, we have uh, a large number of uh, engineers that get hired to local consultancy firms in the region. And we have um, engineers and scientists that now work for the provincial government, which is really wonderful in that you can kind of, uh, from a problem identification, ownership standpoint, as a graduate student, you could go, well, I worked on this problem and now I can work for the utility or now I can work as the service provider to advise the utility or now I can regulate the utility. But they have a really clear knowledge of, you know, um, the challenges that, you know, it's not going to be just box checking. It's going to be, let's negotiate and sort this out over a period of time. But we also, what probably the most proud is that we have produced, and not because I'm an academic, but because it's um, important to me that we uh, think about gender and think about uh, women, particularly in engineering, because um, graduation rates for women are, are astonishingly low compared to other sectors. So our lab has supported about a 50% graduation rate uh, for women, which is incredible in engineering. And uh, of those women, uh, 10 are now faculty members, uh, two are Canada research chairs, uh, one's a department chair, one's an endowed chair. So they're all having impact um, across uh, the various uh, classrooms, labs, uh, engagements that they, they and that, that really pleases me because obviously that's an important leadership function for training future leaders. If I could just add a little bit there too, you know, we talked about the evolution of the research and how it sort of went from prescribed research into being sort of a, a give and take uh, and in both directions. But I think there's also um, some a lot of the, the the majority of the benefits that we get out of the research partnership that we have are actually not related to the research outcomes. It's related to this network that now exists. And, you know, people across the country and across North America now have context in Atlantic Canada and understand where we're coming from. And we can pick up the phone. We can talk to those folks. We've trained people. We've hired people. Um, and so it's built this this community in Atlantic Canada and across Canada that's now, you know, our, our knowledge of water has been, has been elevated. And that in and of itself is such a huge benefit to us as, as a utility, but also to others in the area. So I think it's, you know, the, the outcome of that network. And I also want to just co comment, Graham said 40 to 50 students in the lab, but if you actually extrapolate that over the past 15 to 18 years at 45 to 50 per year, we're looking at hundreds of students from undergrad to grad to postdoc um, that have been trained through this research partnership that now have their fingers sort of across the water industry. Including you. Including me. Yeah. <laughs> so one good, one good outcome. Yeah. <laughs> I won't complain. <laughs> As you heard, by involving Halifax Water and community partners from the beginning, by listening to and valuing various voices and creating intentional research programs based on specific outcomes identified by the needs of society, 
Dr. Graham Gagnon and his team play a critical role in water management. This partnership has been successful in finding solutions to challenges in water quality, water treatment, and stormwater management that can be applied beyond their own community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beyond Research Podcast and let us know what research topics you would like to hear on the podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.